Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. Jesus, one more big hand clap. Come on, let's really give him a hand clap in the house of God. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. There is none other God like you. I declare this morning that all the other gods are made of wood and clay and stone. They have eyes they do not see. They have ears they do not hear. They have mouths they do not speak. But you're the God that sees, and you're the God that hears, and you're the God that speaks. So, Lord, we pray that you hear our prayers this morning. We know that you see us, you watch us, and we know, Father, that you speak to us. So I pray right now that you would speak to me, speak to my brothers, speak to my sisters, speak to these, your people, in Kentucky, in Texas, in Amarillo, in Owensboro, in Dumas, in Henderson, and those watching from around, around wherever they may be. Lord, we bless them now, and we thank you that you are with us in Jesus' mighty name, and the church said, amen, 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 amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, tell them you're lucky you got to sit by me again today. Lucky they got to sit by you again today. It's an honor to be here with you this morning. I didn't want to miss a Sunday at his church. Last night, I had the privilege of preaching the gospel uh, at Pastor John Hagee's church in San Antonio, Cornerstone, and it was broadcasted out. They said hundreds of thousands of people were watching online, and I'm telling you, it's not a normal just church crowd. It's a mixed crowd of every kind of person you can imagine, and I love doing evangelism in those type environments, right? I love it when there's like a guy, and it wasn't like this here, but I preached in some pretty strange environments. We'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to describe them all this Sunday morning, but but. I'm telling you, we, we cast the net. We gave a, a chance to receive Jesus last night, and hundreds and hundreds of people in the room came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Come on, at every campus, let's give God a hand clap that, that God's allowed us as the ministry to reach out into the world. I love Pastor Hagee. I feel like he's a forerunner for those that would stand for religious liberty. And I also had the privilege of honoring the men and women across the nation last year who actually put themselves in harm's way. Some of my friends were looking at a year in jail just for opening up their church. Some of them were faced with millions of dollars of fines, legal costs, uh, attacks on every front. And there's a group of about 20 churches, 20 ministries that stood up and somehow God elevated, gave them a platform. And without them, I think the church in America is in the same shape that the church in Canada or the church in Australia is in right now. They have no rights. But here in America, come on, we have the freedom of religion. And we're not going to back down off of it. It'll be a cold day in hell when I stop talking about this. Can I get an amen? Because without it, America is gone. I want to preach to you today 
about the last installment that I'm going to do, I could preach on David for another year or so. You ever seen those pastors start series and it's like 67 parts later, 67 parts on Romans. And uh, I'm not going to do that to you, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to finish David and uh, talking about King David. And I preach David and I've given you so many of the highlights of his life. David the soldier, David the psalmist, David the shepherd, David the, the sought, right? He'll be David the sovereign king. He comes, he's, he's a boy, he's a teenager. The scholars kind of debate on exa his exact age. There's a few different numbers, it doesn't really matter. But I know it takes him years and years before he ever sets on the throne of simply the kingdom of Judah. After that, he sets on the throne of the entire kingdom. God's anointing on his life takes him from being a shepherd boy and makes him a king. It's only the anointing that can get you in your rightful place at the right time. May not be tomorrow, but I'm telling you, how many of y'all believe God's word's faithful and it'll come to pass if you'll just stay in the ring? David stayed in the ring and God took him there. And David was an incredible king, an incredible leader in so many different ways. The king that went before him, King Saul. Saul lifted up his heart, became filled with pride, stepped over his boundary, got into the office of the priest, made sacrifice before a battle, and a prophetic judgment came against Saul. Saul was told, you and your son will die on the battlefield on the same day. Jonathan, his son, and Saul were both killed. And then a pagan army took their bodies, pinned them to a wall to mock them. So the kings of Israel... Are, are dismembered and nailed to a wall. David, at this point, is such a man of honor. He goes down with his special forces and him and his men. They fight their way through enemy territory. I believe it's Beth Shem. I've been there. There's a massive mount at the end of this ancient city. And at the top of this massive mount, you can climb to the top of it. There's, there's one tree setting up there. And they say there was a wall back there 2,000 years ago. And that's the, or, or not 2,000, it have been 3,000 years ago. There's a wall up there where De, uh, King Saul and his son's body were hung on display. David and his men fought their way in, brought back a king that tried to take his life out of honor for the office of the king of Israel. Then God lifts David up. David starts living the high life. He, 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 he takes other kingdoms, subdues them, starts to put together uh, David and, and really Saul before him, that there was no nation of Israel. There were a ragtag group of tribes. And then they began to be put together. And David, as a kingdom builder, begins to put people together. You know what we're called to be right here in this room? Those of you watching online, those of you that call Jesus your Lord, we're called to be kingdom builders. Can I get an amen? Well, we, we go find broken people. And pieces of, of the body that have been torn apart. You go get them and you become a healing balm and bring people back together. And it's not always easy. Sometimes, sometimes it, it, it's a painful process. Sometimes it requires some fighting and some war. But I think at the end of it, well, we got a group of people in America after the last couple of years. We saw those that were a part of the crowd but were never a part of the church. And now we're left with the church that have stood and been tested and been tried in America. And I think now we have a group of kingdom builders that care. And I don't know about you, but I want to give however many years I've got left in this world to building this kingdom. Nothing else remains. Can I get an amen? 
the end of the day, it's the word of God, the spirit of God, and people that we introduce to the gospel, and that's it. And that's what the kingdom is. So David builds this kingdom, and he moves up. He keeps doing better, and he's got his men trained. Those derelicts that were with him in the cave of Adullam are now leaders, and they can take care of business for David. And David starts making it his habit once he's arrived to kind of rest and relax and let the boys take care of the work. It seems as though that the devil's strategy is to kill you when you're young before you become what you're called to be. And if he can't kill you when you're young, think he tries to knock off Moses when he's, when he's an infant. Tries to kill Jesus when he's an infant. And if the devil can't kill you before you grow, what the devil lets you do is he lets you ascend to power where he can kill you with eyes all over the world on you. When you fall then, everybody gets to see your fall. And that was the strategy that the devil used on David. If I don't preach this part of David, I would leave you thinking that David was a perfect saint. David was no perfect saint, but David still was a man after God's own heart. Here's what happens in David's life. You have your Bible on you. Open it up to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. These are um, scary verses, if you will. Don't walk in a spirit of fear. I should call them a warning scripture about how we can mess ourselves up. Here's what it says. It says, it happened in the spring of the year, the time when kings go to battle. Come on, somebody say the time. Come on, say the time. It's the time when kings go out to battle. It's time for war. The David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. They destroyed the people of Ammon and Bethsage Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman and David and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers, took her. She came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Here's what happens David, it's men, it's time for kings to go out to war. David says, I've already put so much blood on the ground. I've already fought so hard. I've already put so much into life. I've already done so much for, for the king of hosts. Maybe when everybody else goes out to war and everybody else stays in the battle, maybe I'll just stay back at the pad for a little while. David gets in his bathrobe and he's smoking his cigar and he's walking around in his house shoes. And he's looking out from up on his, his high point. I've been to the point where they believe that David was. It's right by where Caiaphas' house is today. It's one of the highest spots in Israel. The way it worked in Israel during those days, and still to this day, this is the way that they think in this part of the world. The better you do in life, the higher you move up the mountain. If you haven't made it yet, you're at the bottom of the hill. But the higher you go, you move up and up and up and up. It's kind of that way around Hollywood, right? The better you did, the higher you're up, the better your view out there in California. And so David's finally arrived. He's there. He's out there standing one morning. He's looking around. 
He's not engaged in the battle that God's called him to be engaged in. Come on, men. Come on, women. We ought to be engaged in the battle that God's called us to be engaged in. We ought to be engaged in the battle of building a great family. Come on, engaged in the battle of raising some great kids. Engaged in the battle of, of loving some grandkids. Engaged in the battle of education. How about engaged in the battle of growing the church? Can I get an amen out there? Engaged in the battle of building some businesses or, or being a great nurse or whatever you're called to do. You better stay engaged in the battle. The moment you get disengaged with the battle, you become an easy target with the enemy. How many of you have ever become disengaged with your battle? I know I've become disengaged at points in my life. And um, my grandpa used to say this to us. Grandpa was a rounder. Uh, you know, he's like, like the woman at the well, she'd been married five times, and the one that she was with, she was not married to. That's my grandpa. That's who he was. And uh, he, he, he'd been married to all these women, and what was crazy is he could show up at their house, and they would still cook for him. Is that not witchcraft or something? I think maybe my grandpa was a witch. I don't know. I don't know how I pulled that off. And, uh, but but he, he was charming. He was a sharp guy. He was a wonderful boyfriend. He was a terrible husband. And he knew, raised in the Depression, I mean, he, he just, just one, the, a, a lot of that generation that's gone, he passed away this, this last year, was really my favorite grandparent. But I remember him teaching us this. He, uh, he would say this to us all the time. He'd say, boys, if you lose your job and you're unemployed, go work for someone for free. Eventually, someone will hire you. If you don't go to work, you'll end up drinking and gambling everything you have away. It'll cost you less to work for free than to sit around. How many of y'all believe that idle time is the devil's workshop? Come on, give Grandpa a little hand clap for some old school wisdom. We ought to be working. Can I get an amen out there? So David's up there. He's looking out. He's looking out, and he's checking out the landscape. And he looks down, and he sees a woman bathing. Now, this woman's bathing at an inappropriate time of the day. She's bathing on a rooftop. She knows she's within the, the view of the king's palace. The rabbis teach that Bathsheba is one of, I think it's like the seven most beautiful women that ever lived on the earth. Eve is one of those women. Esther is one of those women. Rahab the harlot is on that list of women. And Bathsheba is on that list of women. Bathsheba was a knockout. She was a 10. She's smoking hot. David walks out there and uh, sees her, and he can't take his eyes off of her. He's mesmerized. You know, it's, it's like, I remember, you know, at times, Jesse and I, we've been walking through. Uh, we're all men and women in here, but you're walking through somewhere, and there's, there's a, a beautiful woman walks by, and it catches your glance, and, and Jesse will turn around and say, honey, I know, I know you weren't looking at her. Uh, she was looking at you. I know that's what it was. It's okay. I, I noticed her too, right? And I, I, I got to tell you this. I'm just, I'm just going to brag on myself one time. I was sitting at a, at a, at a rally for uh, President Trump. Uh, 45's watching, and I'm pretty sure Melania was checking me out on the second row. That's all I got to, that's all I got to say. I'm pretty sure she was, but, but there, there's this beautiful woman down there, and uh, he's, he's, he's looking, and here's what I tell young men whenever I coach them. I say, if you look down and you see a woman, beautiful woman, naked on accident, 
once you've been blessed. Let that sink in. If you look and see her twice, you've been cursed. Because you can't control the first look, can you? Sometimes it's just there. But what you do with what you've seen will make you or break you. Come on, don't look back the second time. Men or women, whatever it is, you can't control what you see the first time, but you can control it after that. Jesse's taught our, our son. If you walk by Victoria's Secret or something like that and all the models are out on the wall to look the other way, and, and Jesse teaches them, we're just going to give those girls a little privacy. They don't know they need it, so we'll give them the privacy. And, and he's trained to look away to give those girls some privacy. David keeps looking. It's the old adage, the birds may fly over your head, but you don't have to let them build a nest in your hair. Be careful where you look. Why? Where you look, eventually what you meditate on. Where the eyes go, the, the, the heart and the mind follows. Think about it when you're driving a car. Driving down the road, you're looking off to the left. Next thing you know is you hear that bump on the road, right? Because you're veering to the left. Where the head goes, the eye goes, the heart goes, the body follows. And I can't tell you how many kings have been taken out in life the same way David was taken out in life. It happens all the time. Now, David had an unhealthy obsession with women. David had multiple wives. It was part of what kings did back then. He also had a harem. Some say his harem could have been, the, the scholars debate, concubines, not just wives, but concubines. That it could have been up in the number of uh, hundreds of concubines. His son Solomon takes it to the next level. Because things like this you allow to stay in your household. They grow one generation to the next. You know the test they used for David. When David was old and about to die. They're trying to figure out if we gotta, we got to figure out who the next king's going to be of Israel. Do you know what they did with David? They brought a, a good-looking young woman, put her in bed with David to see if David would try to make a move on her. And they said if he makes a move on her, David will live. We don't need to prepare. If he makes no move, we know that the king will soon be dead. The king, he, he doesn't make the move, and they know the king will soon be dead. So you got this guy, David, that subdues kingdoms, writes songs, brings the ark back to Israel, brings the glorious days, financial revival to a nation. He trains up mighty men. He's a kingmaker. Whenever he speaks, the nations listen. He wins in so many areas of life, but he loses in this one area, and it brings judgment to his whole household. I don't want to lose in one area and cost my family, my kids, my future, my, the churches I lead, you or anybody else because of my one weakness. Come on, church. The Spirit of God can fix our weaknesses, change us, rearrange us, work on our hearts, deliver us, get us out of our messes. Can I get an amen out there? David gets messed up in this area. Here's what he does. He looks at Bathsheba too long. He sends some messengers to go get her. They bring her, he lays with her. Says it's after her time of impurity. She's fertile, she conceives. They send a message back up, says she's with child. So you got Bathsheba, 
who's an interesting individual. I think she's complicit in, in one sense. In the other sense, David, whenever he calls for her, she doesn't have the power in that culture to say no. He's the king. She doesn't go, he can have her killed. In that sense, David is almost like a rapist because he's abusing his power at another level. So David comes up with this idea. If I can knock off her husband, first if I can bring her husband back, I can get her husband to sleep with Bathsheba, that maybe they'll think the child is Uriah's child and not mine. So they bring Uriah back. And they say, go down to be with your wife. He says, how can, I, how can I go be with my wife when my brethren are on the field fighting? He wouldn't go down. So they try to get him drunk. Try to get him, you know, liquored up so he'll do the drunk dial at night and be calling his wife and want to come over. And they get him drunk, and he still won't go down there. He says, how can I, how can I dishonor? Uriah, what a man of honor. How can I dishonor my men who are fighting out in the field by sleeping with my wife in the comfort of my own house? And he sleeps outside. So David comes up with another plan. And his plan is he's going to assassinate Uriah. And he calls Joab, who does a lot of David's dirty deeds. And he says, whenever the battle's hot, send David close to the wall within the snipers, the archers reach. And then whenever the fight comes out, have the rest of the men draw back, leave Uriah exposed. Uriah's exposed, he gets shot and killed, and David becomes a murderer. Prophet comes down to David's house, tells this prophetic story, says that there was this man who had one little lamb that he loved. There was a rich man that had all sorts of lambs, could have anything he wanted. And the rich man went and took the poor man's one little lamb that he loved. David rises with indignation, says, I want to know who this man is. Where's he at? What kind of man in Israel would commit such an injustice? The prophet points at the most powerful man in the world, and he says, you are the man. David repents. He's broken. He realizes he's broken the heart of God. Listen, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what your failures are, if you'll repent and respond to the word of God, God will step up and forgive you. And David goes down in history, even though he's David the sinner, he's still called a man after God's own heart. Is anybody thankful? Come on, let's give God a hand clap. You've been forgiven much. The Bible says if you, you, you'll love much you're forgiven much. David receives the forgiveness of God. Now, it's not without real problems in David's life. A lot of people think that just because you receive forgiveness, all of the ramifications of your actions will be gone. Well, you can be forgiven in the heavenlies, but there's still ramifications with our actions on the earth. And it's the way it is. People will come to church and they'll say, you know, you know, now that I'm going to church, God ought to be my magic rabbit foot and everything in my life will be easy. How many know that that's not true? Can I get an amen? There's a prophetic word that comes over David, and it'll be a, be a fourfold judgment because of David's actions, because he kills this man and takes his wife. After, after he dies, he brings her, marries her, and they have 
uh, the child that will become the next king of Israel, Solomon. Here's the fourfold judgment that comes on David's life. The first thing is the child that he conceives with Bathsheba dies. David fasts and prays and mourns, repents before God. The child does not make it. After that, David's son rapes his half-sister. Second judgment that comes upon David's life because of his actions. It's a fourfold judgment. Third thing that comes upon his life is his own son Absalom. Plots his death for, for three years. The one that had raped his sister was Absalom's full sister, was the other boy's half-sister. For three years, Absalom sets him up. Then one day, Absalom kills him and other people at the same time. Then he runs for his life. David doesn't fix that. The last part of the judgment that comes upon David is Absalom, his son, dies on the battlefield. And dies. After he comes back to the kingdom, he's not even corrected. And David's heart is broken. David repents of all of his actions. Psalm 51. You ought to take time and read it later on today. But David writes about the biggest mistake of his life, about what he does. And there's this, there's this psalm of repentance that's recorded. And I, I know this isn't a feel-good message, but it's just, it's reality. It's where people live. It's where we pastor. It's where we help put folks back together. And it, the story of David's just so fitting. David starts off with this, verse 1. It says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. That word loving kindness is hesed means your covenant love. Come on, God doesn't have a love that comes and goes for us. He has a covenant love. He is for us even when we are not for him. Have a mercy with me according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. Come on, whenever we transgress, instead of hiding it, we ought to acknowledge it. It's not, I made a mistake. It's, I sinned. Can I get an amen out there? America says, I made a mistake. No, whenever I break the law of God, I didn't make a mistake. I sinned. Can I get an amen out there? Nobody says that anymore. It's not, a, it's not, it's not I made a mistake. It's, I've sinned. And he says this, my sin is before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Goes back to his birth, where there's a, a same type of, of, of transgression in his background and his parents. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. 
How many of y'all believe that our God is able to blot out our sins, to cleanse us with hyssop? Come on, to wash us and make us whiter than snow. We ought to give him a hand clap at every campus because he has blotted out our sins. Come on, he's washed us. You are now whiter than snow if you're under the blood of Jesus. Can I get an amen? See, here's what the devil wants to do. Here's some of the primary strategies of the devil. I'll never, I'll never forget, I was out here and I was living in the apartments when I was 21 years old, right on the corner of 34th and Bell. Now I'm hanging out in the apartment one day, just minding my own business. I was, I was watching a preacher. I was watching Rod Parsley. Anybody remember Rod Parsley? Pastor Parsley. And he was sweating. He was bringing it. Man, I'm like, this guy can preach. He was a preaching machine back then. And um, I'm there trying to live the best life I know how. And I'm sitting there watching a preacher. And all of a sudden, I get a knock. It's a knock on the door. I go and I look out. I look out the peephole in my apartment to see who it was. You know who was standing there? It was one of the girls from a James Bond, Bond film. But it wasn't a Bond girl. You know who was really standing there? It was the devil. Can I get an amen? But the devil doesn't show up dressed in horns and leggings with a pitchfork saying, I'm the devil here to destroy your future. The devil shows up like something that's very enticing. And she asked me if she could come into the apartment. And I wanted her to come into the apartment. I got to admit, my flesh, I was, I was 21 years old. I'd come out of drug culture, been involved in all kinds of stuff. It'd been very, very promiscuous. God saved me from all of that kind of stuff. She's there. She's beautiful. She wants to come in. She's not there to study. What happened is her and her boyfriend had had a fight down the hallway, and she came to my room to get even with her, with him. Now I'm standing there, and here's what these moments do. There are moments in time that define a fork in the road in your destiny. And you can take the wrong fork there. And I'm not saying God can't clean it up, but it's going to take some time to get it right again. Can I get an amen? And... I was looking at her, she's standing there, and I look, I look up at her, and the Holy Spirit quickens me. She said, can, can I come in? I said, no, ma'am, I got to be somewhere. I looked down at my watch, and I lied to that girl because I didn't have to be anywhere, but I had to be anywhere where she wasn't at that time. And I said, I got to be somewhere, and I walked out, got in my car, drove off, and drove up to the college, and listen, here's what was hanging in the balance at that time. I already had my eye on a young, beautiful, spirit-filled girl who was full of the fire of God, who loved Jesus and loved the gospel and was pure. And her name now is Pastor Jessie Gibson. And if I let that gal into my apartment, I don't think God gives me Jessie at that time. How many know when you're faithful, God will reward you with the desires of your heart? And if you make mistakes, it can take some time to get it back on track. He's still the God of all restoration. Here's, here's how the devil really plays. Let me give you these quick three things. You ought to write these down. David's got this massive dream in his life, and it gets defiled for a moment. The devil defiles the dream of significance. 
How many of y'all want to be significant and make a difference in life? Amen? We all want to be significant. The devil defines, defiles, defiles the dream of significance with, with pride. He brings pride in. When someone starts to get significant, pride will try to creep in and try to defile that dream. There's nothing wrong with the dream of being significant. Nothing wrong with climbing the ladder. Nothing wrong with succeeding. There's nothing wrong, David, with you moving up higher on the mountain. That's not the issue. You just can't let your pride, now that you're king, make you cross barriers you used to wouldn't cross. The devil defies, defiles the dream of success. Does anybody out there want to be successful? I want to be successful. Can I get an amen out there? You know, the Bible says you follow the word of God. God will give you good success. You were designed to succeed in life. But he defiles the dream of success for many people with greed. Instead of just success, it becomes about stuff. Instead of succeeding for God's kingdom and helping people, it becomes about materialism. What else can I put in my asset column? What else can I have? And I'm all for us having stuff, but I don't want stuff to have us. The longer I live, the less stuff means to me. Because what was great 10 years ago is trash today. Can I get an amen? I would rather invest in an eternal kingdom. And I don't want the dream of success to be defiled with greed. The third thing, and this is really what got David, is he defiles the dream of family. There's nothing greater than family. I mean, a lot of us have some messed up family. I'd say most of you have some messed up family. What is a normal family? Does anybody even know what a normal family is? No. So we may all be imperfect and our family may all be messed up, but it's still family. And it's still our family. Amen? Now I can talk about my family, but you can't talk about my family. That's my family. Amen? That's the way it is. It's family. Here's what will happen in people's lives is the devil will defile the dream of family with lust. This is what got David. The dream of family, the dream of... David's a kingmaker. He's got princes and princesses in his house. I'm talking, they're on top. And the, the devil comes and defiles that thing with lust. and messes up everything. I got good news. Uh, the devil's going to make all these same plays. He has no new tricks. He'll make the same plays on each and every one of us. But the Bible says that no matter what temptation comes after you, that God has put an exit ramp for you to get around that temptation by the Spirit of the living God. Can I get an amen out there? Come on, would you stand up on your feet? Let's give Jesus the biggest hand clap for the exit ramps he provides. Come on, let's give it. How many times has he kept you out of something that would have destroyed you? How many times has he bailed you out? He's bailed me out so many times I can't even count. Listen, David makes some big mistakes. Sins. Colossal. You know what's crazy? God still writes about him that David is a man after my own heart. Just because you're down, baby, doesn't mean you're out. Just because you failed doesn't mean you're a failure. Just because you sin doesn't mean you go down in history as just a sinner. 
We serve a God who is the God not just of some grace. He's not just the God of a little grace. He's not just a God of a thumb full of grace. We serve the God of all grace. And regardless of your past, I'm telling you, you can have a bright future. I don't care about where you've been. I don't care about what you've done. I care about where you're going. And the Spirit of God cares about where you're going. And I'm telling you, the kingmaker is still in the house. And I think his grace wants to take us from shepherd to king. I want to pray for you. Would you close your eyes, maybe lift a hand to heaven. I want, I want to pray these lessons we've learned from the life of David. They would soak into each and every one of our hearts. Father, I pray right now that the lessons we've learned at every campus from, from David, King David, that the lessons would begin to soak into our heart. Lord, that they would come and they would bless, they would lift, they would help. Teach us, Lord, to be the worshiper. Teach us to war when it's appropriate. Teach us how to avoid the trap of the enemy. Teach us how to repent and have a contrite heart when we sin. I pray those lessons would come deep down into our soul where you could look at us and say, here is someone who is after my own heart. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. And the church said, amen, amen, amen.